Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another episode of Room 9. This was a good episode. This episode was recorded in a Wegmans, believe it or not, a one in Williamsville, New York. And this Wegmans, for those of you who don't live in this area, it's a very popular grocery store. But they have this like upper flat area cafe where people just hang out and relax. And this is where I met the guest of this episode, Room 9, Sammy Violante. And Sammy's got a crazy, crazy story. He was one of the bigger investment bakers in Western New York for some time until he came down with crazy, crazy, severe case of OCD. And he ended up losing his job. He ended up losing his marriage. His life started falling apart and he had to really search and search and search for someone in some area that could help him. And eventually, after years of working at it, and he got better at managing his OCD, he just started volunteering at places. And for about 17 years now, he's 67, so at the age of 50, he started volunteering at all these places in Western New York. And it is crazy. When he showed me the list of places he's been volunteering, the smallest number of years was eight. And there was about 15 different companies on there that he's been volunteering at for a very long time. So he's just an amazing dude who had this life experience and, you know, his midlife at the age of 50 and just found his passion and is going around and talking with troubled teens and people who struggle with mental health. And he is just talking with them and just giving them the courage and the strength and the knowledge of knowing that you can learn how to live and overcome anything that you are struggling with no matter how severe it is it just takes a lot of hard work and dedication and he is a great motivator to listen to as far as i can do this he just gives you that attitude after you talk with him that you can find a way to overcome what you're struggling with so here it is episode 70 of room 9 podcast with sammy violante hope you guys enjoy all right much love and peace out Sammy, how, how do you, uh, Violante, correct? Yeah. Sammy yeah. Violante. Yeah. Thank you for joining me here, man. I greatly appreciate your time. Sounds like uh, we're going to have some fun. Uh, absolutely. Already from our little 15 minute conversation yeah. here right. already, it's getting good. Yeah. I always struggle sometimes when I'm with people. It's like, do I talk? I don't really want to talk about them too much because I want to record, but I feel like an asshole talking about myself. So it's always kind of like, ah, yeah. what do you do? Because I hate when good tidbits are. Yeah are going when you first meet somebody yeah. and they are not right. recorded. It's like, ah, oh, I need to record this. Be right. quiet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I got, no, I got you. Yep. Things that are sometimes that are off the cuff, you know, are the best. Yeah. 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 And, and that's why I've kind of enjoyed going to more longer form podcasting, yeah. you know, at least 45, because 
usually takes 20 minutes to get going, you know, <laughs> exactly. and everybody to get moving and excited and all that other stuff. I so. call that the microwaving experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, microwaving. That's, that's right? a great, uh, that's a great term for it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so I found you, how did I come across you? I got to remember here. Well, you mentioned oh, Mike Bolani. Mike, Mike Bolani, yes. I now, came. how do you know Mike? So again, just making phone calls. Okay. Um, I was on the let's talk sigma.org website and I found all the okay. companies that are part of it. Yes. And I just went down and they have quotes from them all. And yeah. I get their name, hit them up on LinkedIn. Okay. All right. Hey, you know, I'm so-and-so doing this. And, you know, would you be interested in doing a podcast or talking more about doing a podcast? Right. So then he told me to call you. He yeah. just gave me his, your phone number. Yeah. He's like, call this guy. I'm like, do you even know if this guy wants me to call him? But this all right. Is, yeah. So I gave you a ring and, and here we are. Yeah. So great. thank you for joining me. Yeah. Great. I'm, I'm glad you're here. So give me, give me a little rundown how, um, I know I read a little bit about your story, but you know, maybe there's people listening who don't know Jack crap about your story <laughs> yeah. and it might help them to hear something. So I know you were an investment banker and you were, uh, living the, living the dream yeah. in quotes and, you know, tell me uh, how you got to where you're at. Well, I think what's kind of interesting about my story, uh, Sean, is um, I've lived both scorecards, okay? And a lot of times I'll talk to people and I'll say, how do most people, especially men, how are we measuring success in a capitalistic society of America? And most guys right off the bat will say money, power, ego, possessions, women, stuff. Mm -hmm. In America, we're a consumerism type society. Just a little bit. Yep. <laughs> so we buy stuff. And men, because we look at ourselves as providers, we have attached to the scorecard of money as the go-to. Mm -hmm. I always tell people if they've ever seen the movie The Wolf of Wall Street, kind of interesting part of my story. I mean, it's not exactly in the, the exact same stratosphere, but it's close where, yes, I was in an industry from 22 years old to 45, 23 years of 100% commission. I have never worked for a salary. I've never worked for an hourly wage, nor have I ever worked for what's called a guaranteed draw I was on a hundred percent commission. So I had to make, create my own paycheck every day, every week, every mm. month for 23 years. The pressure to that is incredible. I imagine it is. People say, Sammy, how the heck did you do it? And I think the way I kind of look at it in my twenties and thirties, we're kind of like the energizer bunny. We just kind of keep going. In my forties now, as I kind of got married, and I had, you know, there's more responsibilities going on. Now balance, balance becomes more important or at least should be part of the equation. And now you're struggling between continuing to be high on the rankings. That was a big part of what I wanted to do was I always wanted to be the number one guy, mm -hmm. or the, okay? So the rankings were very, very important to me and the money followed because I learned if you do the right things, the productivity and the success will follow. And I was a person that I modeled and mirrored the most successful investment brokers in Western New York. And I asked a lot of questions. 
Have you ever heard the expression, the squeaky wheel gets yep. the grease? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. And so I was a guy, even to this day, I've got my flare pens and my three by five cards. I ask questions, I write things down, and I study from the best. And all I'm really doing, I'm professionally copycatting the best people that are doing this. It's not rocket science, but most people don't have the discipline or maybe the inner drive to do. Mm-hmm. I like to use this word too, relentless. It's one of my favorite words. It's a powerful, powerful word for yeah, sure. Yeah, and so relentless is another word I looked up in the dictionary. And relentless basically means refuse to give up. And that's kind of like what I did. I'm an average guy from the town of Tanawana. I'm a 1971 graduate of Cameron West. I don't come, my dad was a blue collar Bethlehem steel worker. I don't come from any money. I don't come from um, country clubs, but I found a way to take some basic skills and become very successful in that business. Yeah, that's, I think that is something, at least I have over the last couple of years have applied in my life of that same mentality. I mean, I know how to, I think it's huge. So teach yourself how to learn. Yeah. I mean, in, in anything you're trying to accomplish, and I think that can even go back to your individuality and what you're trying to do in your own life. How have other people done this? How have other people overcome this? How right. have, you know, whatever it is you're trying to learn, I think right. that's a great way to do it. I mean, nobody has ever really, it's very difficult to come up with a new concept. Somebody has already done it already. Exactly. It's how you execute. Yeah. And I think that can be applied to anything, whether anything. it's your professional life or personal, you know, self. Yeah. Somebody's already done it. Find a ways that work for you that have worked for other people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's huge for sure. You know, so again, the, the term that I like to share with the audience here, it's called modeling and mirroring. And all of you're really doing is you're professionally duplicating the best traits and skills from people that are already doing mm-hmm. it. It's as simple as that. You know, I've always heard, you know, people talk about when you have listened to some people that I follow and they always say it's not the most creative. It's whoever executes yeah. the best yeah. is going to be the most successful. And again, I think you can even apply it to your personal life. But so you're on this total commission thing. Yeah. You're doing it. 23 years, you said, huh? Yeah. Nothing but 100% commission. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. So you are just hustling. Yeah. Was this like seven days a week hustle or um, okay, did you so, take your weekends? Yeah, so Monday through Thursday was probably like eight o'clock in the morning till maybe nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. So, okay. so typically during the day, I would be dealing with business clients. And then in the evening, I'd go see the Mr. and Mrs. Sean Cudahy's out there or people that are in the, what I would call the regular folk that basically might have a life insurance policy or a, a, a mutual fund or, or an annuity in there. So I, sit, I sat down with a lot of people at their kitchen sets, okay, dining rooms, but it's a never ending business. And then, so the hours were kind of like pretty crazy Monday through Thursday, uh, Friday, probably eight to five. Saturday mornings, a lot of times I would be, uh, use that to call people or maybe some very specific appointments. And then Sunday was a day of rest, <laughs> just to just see if I could possibly maybe regroup rest. for the next day. But 
the problem again, the mind is always going though. It's very interesting. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I'm in, uh, it, I think it's, well, I mean, I, I can't even judge you and say that was unhealthy for you because people tell me, because <laughs> all I do is, I mean, that, that's all I think about day sure. in and day out. Of I course. mean, I'm seven days a week. Yeah. I'm trying to learn video production, audio production, yeah. graphic design, typography. I mean, whatever it is, I like, I want to get better at it. Yeah. Brand strategy. And I want to get better. I'm hungry. Like it does yeah. not, not one second of this feels like work to me. It's That's absolutely great. from yeah. when I wake up to probably sometimes I'm up till 3 a.m. editing or yes. doing something. Yeah. And um, I love every second of it. That's but I great. think there's, you know, there's a point I've realized recently I got to still pay. Luckily, I don't have much of a personal life and that's, yeah. a social life. And that's but, where I was at. Yep. Okay. So here's what's interesting, though. As you move along in this journey, balance. The B word. Is going to become more prevalent or important mm -hmm. it's not there yet i was the same thing see to keep in mind again mm -hmm. when you really don't have any let's say wives or kids or let's say other major responsibilities involved you can thrust your whole heart and soul into this and work crazy hours and again i just kept doing it kept doing it kept doing it but in my 40s some health issues came into play Okay. That kind of turned the whole kaleidoscope around here. And as I think it's, uh, as we continue on, it's going to be uh, some great learning lessons for the audience and opportunities for growth as we move forward here. Well, let's, let's start getting into it. I mean, that's the juicy stuff, right? That's yeah, why we're here. That's right. That's the, that's the good stuff. So you're, you're in your early forties, mid forties, yeah, late forties. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, 42, 43 okay. years old, right around there. And then something happens. Yeah. It's kind of. Well, yeah. I don't know what you'll call it. But. Yeah, I, I, I like to explain this to the audience. Now, what I learned is I've always had what's called an obsessive compulsive personality. Mm -hmm. All right. And I've had this as a kid. I dot the I's. I cross the T's. I'm an overachiever. Type A. Very, very numbers and very, very success driven. So that's ingrained in my internal programming, my DNA. I think that's probably one of the reasons why, in addition to being very, very competitive, why I was attracted to this 100%. The commission thing. Yes. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense? Yep. So I learned that I have this obsessive compulsive personality. What I didn't realize, and this is now I'm looking with a whole different set of lenses today, but if you take that and now you throw yourself, you thrust yourself into an environment of 100% commission mm -hmm. with no limits, that can be very toxic. <laughs> that becomes I imagine so. addicting. Okay. Yes. And so there's very easy, like when I was working the 12 to 15 hours a day and working crazy hours and mind always going, it's very easy for me to understand how and why I was doing that. And yes, the money was incredible and the, the toys and the possessions, but it was really ingrained in my spirit, my DNA, like I said, my programming of how I wanted to continue to excel. What kind of materialized though, so you take the, the obsessive compulsive personality into that no limit environment. And what happened was, and I don't want to use the word all of a sudden, but in my mid, my early to mid 40s, 
I started to exhibit symptoms of doubting and checking. Hmm. Yeah, I found myself, Sean, like I was like filling out an account form for a client and I'd ask for the social security number, the last name, and then I have to go back and can you give that? Can you give it? Can you give me that again? And then the, like the address, and I saw started to see like a little excessive type of checking and repeating, and it started to be a little bit um, bothersome. But I continued to keep going on. But I did notice from my early to mid forties, it progressively got worse. And around my mid, so I'm sorry to cut no, you off. No, this so is when you um, when you say you like if you, you had to go double check it, so somebody gives you a phone number, yeah, and you write it down, you had to go back and ask them again to make sure it was the right phone number. Yeah, you had or, that kind of itch. Or I would see, I'm a writer downer, so I would even write it down, and I would be looking at it, but I still would have to like. Did I really ask that? Right. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And that really did not rear its ugly head until my mid 40s. Now, I, because of a lot of the counseling and professional treatment I've had, which we can get into as well, I have become and one of my, I do a lot, I do like a lot of um, inspirational speaking, I do a lot of motivational speaking today, and I teach people become a PhD on yourself. Hmm. The more that you can understand how you click, what is your, what, you know, what makes you feel good about being you, and the more that you understand that, it becomes very, very powerful. So I've learned that I have an obsessive compulsive personality, that I drove myself into an industry that was like charcoal lighter fluid it took the obsessive compulsive personality into a very bad pattern of doubting and checking. Hmm. And then I learned through treatment that I suffer from severe OCD, which is called for the and, audience obsessive compulsive yeah, disorder. And, and real OCD, not yeah. the loose OCD term that people yeah. throw around, that I throw around too all the time. Well, like, it's yeah, I'm OCD. I need this this way. It's interesting <laughs> you said that because, see, now I was diagnosed in the 1990s. Okay. And at the time, people really didn't understand OCD at all. Today, when I mention OCD, just like you said, I would say I 90. Too. Yeah, all of you nailed it. <laughs> Sammy, I do that too. And, it's, and, I, and again, because of my journey, I, I don't want to say I take offense to it, but it, it's really different levels and categories well yeah. i think that's this is an issue too that's coming and i don't know if it's coming around with i don't know why it exists because it, it's with bipolar yes people say i'm bipolar like yeah. no, you're not bipolar i've La met people labeling. who are really bipolar yeah and i you know i've seen them what they're dealing with you're not dealing with labeling yeah you know i think a lot of us go through a situational thing yeah that causes like after my divorce you know my wife still is it's been seven years ex-wife still kind of uses the kids to keep keep them away from me. I mean, it's just, yep. it's a pain. Yeah. But I want, I mean, that was really the root cause of my addiction was my divorce. And, but I, I was depressed. I felt I could be very, very happy one moment and yep. walk into a room, see a couple of kids and go way down. Yeah. But I mean, that's situational. So I think a lot of people have situational and yes. mistake it for yes. like, I've had this forever and, you know. Exactly. But I think OCD is, 
that's got to be insanely oh. tough. I can only imagine, as you will continue to tell me and share with me. Well, I think here's a here's a key thing I learned. When you go into a professional therapist's office or you start getting treated, one of the key questions that they ask, so let's say now we're talking about OCD, mm -hmm. they'll ask me, they'll go, Sammy, how many hours on the day you're working, I'm, so, I'm sorry, my waking hours? So they might say, what time do you wake up? Seven o'clock. What time do you go to bed? 11 o'clock. Okay, so what's that? 16 hours, okay. So of those 16 hours that you're awake, how much time would you say that you're involved with some type of doubting and or checking or obsessive compulsive behavior traits? And it's very interesting now because based on how you answer that, and if you're being total honest, when I was really in the throes of it, I'd say about eight to 10 hours of my day, I was victimized, wow. paralyzed by this OCD behavior. And so they labeled me, but I think in fairness, it was accurate, not at the time, because when you're first going through the journey, it's hard, there's an acceptance issue. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. But they labeled me um, severe OCD. That sounds pretty yeah. damn severe. Yeah. It was Eight to 10 hours a day. Yeah. And it basically, uh, as we go on here, um, it cost me my marriage. My first wife, um, she got scared. She lost the mm -hmm. vision. I don't know whether my first wife, it's, some people might say, well, you know, she married me for the money. I think that a lot of times women will look at the vision of the white picket fence, the mm -hmm. nice home, the nice lifestyle. And we, were, we had that for a, a number of years. And then when I got sick, and I had trouble, I was trouble now functioning in my field. Um, she bounced. My, my first wife left me, and basically the part of my story is um, she told me on Christmas Eve. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a convenient time to do that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's gotta be tough. Yeah. All right, you know, I wanna pause here. Yep. I don't wanna take a quick step back because you said something. That's okay. That's that I want to, so I get, based on I get rolling. <laughs> so yeah, um, the whole, you have to get to know yourself because that is something that I have, I always talk about. Uh, this clinical psychologist I absolutely love yeah. talks about watching yourself like you're a complete stranger. Yeah. And he says, you know, we, we act like we, we think we know ourselves, you know, because we know what our favorite color is and what food we like. And when we really think about it, we do so many things that we don't want to do. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe you don't know yourself as much as you do. And I yeah. think that's such a huge point yeah. to everything. Like you have to be able to watch yourself objectively and get to know who you are and, you know, why you react certain ways and what you're doing. And I think that's such a key to whether you're struggling with something as severe OCD or not. Yeah. I think that's a huge important thing. So I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah, that's good. And that's great. You know, so let's bounce back to Christmas Eve. Your now ex-wife tells you she wants to divorce because of your your struggling and your yeah. challenges with OCD. Yeah, she lost. I think she lost the vision of the good life. She mm -hmm. lost the vision of. I didn't sign up for this shit. Pretty yeah, much. <laughs> yeah. And she got she got scared. Yeah, she got scared. And the husband that she married was now a fraction of what he what he once was. And so I think here's another key thing to, that we wanna share with the, the viewers or listeners is that I always talk about 
when adversity hits, and I like to define adversity as obstacles, roadblocks, challenges, when the heat gets ramped up in the kitchen, mm -hmm. are you going to be a fighter or are you going to be a flighter? The fight or flight. Th oh, I've been a flighter the majority of my life with the exception of the last couple of years. Yes. For and, sure. And I think what's interesting too is if you're dating and or marry, to marry somebody, how do you really know unless you're really experiencing some severe adversity? And a lot of times now looking back is if obviously if I knew that my first wife was going to be a flighter when we had problems, I probably wouldn't have married her. Mm -hmm. But that's part of the game of life is learning. So I think what we want to, I think what's kind of interesting to underscore here is that I think that learning again about yourself, how you're going to handle adversity and what basically transpired is she flew the cuckoo's nest, if you will. Mm -hmm. And part of my story, Sean, is, um, my OCD cost me my marriage. Now we didn't have any kids. We were married for about four years. Uh, we were trying to have kids, but I'm also very, very spiritual. And I believe that God said, you know what, Sammy, I'm not gonna give any kids when this first marriage here. And so my OCD cost me my first marriage. And then it gets kind of interesting because as I had more stress, as I continue to keep staying in the, in the business, I was trying to balance all this out, having treatment and all that. I continue to struggle in the investment business, in my productivity. So you were still working when you got divorced, you were still technically working? I still try. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was struggling at it though. It was like, I wasn't able to get in there every day. I was having, and I think that's part of the issue too, is that my, my first wife, she kind of saw that I wasn't able to continue to work at the type of pace that I was at. Mm -hmm. And I ended up what happened is I got, I got fired. I got terminated from the industry. And I think what's interesting to share with the viewers here is that I was trying to be very humble here, but I was one of the top investment brokers in all of Western New York. And I was ranked in one of the firms I was with one of the top in the entire country. So I just trying to share that the level of success that I had with my obsessive compulsive personality, was through the roof. Mm -hmm. But because of the OCD and the tremendous decline in my productivity, it cost me my profession. So my marriage is gone and ultimately my profession is gone. So what, um, what about your OCD was making, was it just spending too much time double checking, triple checking okay. things? Very or? good, good question, okay. So yeah, in the field that I was in, I'm dealing with account forms. Okay. Stock certificates, money. I'm dealing with files, paperwork, a lot of layers. And at one time I was a very good multitasker. The OCD robbed me of my ability to do that. So yes, the doubting and checking. Remember we talked about the severe OCD, eight mm -hmm. to 10 hours a day. Yep. I was not able to productively work my profession anymore. Okay. And it just got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And my employer saw that and um, put the kibosh on you, huh? Yeah. And, I, and my termination notice is very interesting. I keep this at home because I do a lot of talks today. And sometimes I show this to people is you still have it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, okay. Cool. And here's what it says. My name is Samuel Anthony Violani. 
and it says reason for termination. Now this is a goes this is a form. It's called a U5 form that's sent to the Securities Exchange Commission in Washington D.C. So this is national. It's like public record. Ah, okay. And here's what it said: reason for termination. Exact words: unable to perform minimal job functions adequately. And when you think about, again, if you would have known me, Sean, years ago and saw the success I had, and now you're seeing, wow. This minimum job functions. Sammy yeah. can't even do minimal job functions. That gives you a little idea what severe OCD can do to your ability to perform. What do you think, like, was there a specific thing that kind of triggered this for you? I, I, I would think, no, I think it's a culmination of 23 years of nonstop, the pressure, yeah. 100% commission. You got it. That's it. No <laughs> so, doubt about it. And it just kind of built and, up. And, and, and as the clinical psychologist said, the treatment said, mm -hmm. Sammy, your balance is way off. Exact words. Never forget this. I remember one of the uh, psychologists I, I, uh, I treated with, he goes, Sammy, if you continue to work the way that you are, they'll be pouring dirt on you by 50 years old. Hmm. Exact words. Yeah, that's a, that's a powerful statement to hear. Well, he saw. Yep. He saw that this guy's balance is way off. And yeah, he, he's so-called successful. If you look at that first scorecard, America, mm -hmm. right? But man, it's costing him again. So I look at it, my marriage was lost. And now because of the OCD, your, I, your job was gone as well. I'm gone. My profession was gone. And in a sense, people had told me that 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 particular piece of paper, that termination notice, and it did, it effectively blackballed me out of the industry. Because hmm. think about it, Sean, what potential employer is going to hire me? When they look at my record and they see that, and, and they're able to get they're able to get that record. I know it's crazy. Like so, nobody tried to like work with you, give you a shot or nothing, huh? No, they I were just it's a hard, it, cutthroat business. But I believe again, banking. <laughs> but I also believe again, and we continue. We'll continue to keep talking about this spiritually. I believe that God was setting me up for something much bigger, and, and much better. better more fulfilling yep but who but you have to sometimes there's an old saying uh a religious term sometimes you have to go through good friday to get to resurrection sunday hmm. good friday yeah that's that's good i like that that makes sense makes perfect sense so a lot of catholics out there we could talk about <laughs> you know sometimes you have to go through a good friday to get to easter sunday there we go so i'm talking we're talking about right now about my good friday and or my Black Friday. Eventually, we're gonna to get to your Easter Sunday. Don't worry; it ends in a good, on yeah. a good tone. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it's good that we kind of go through this for people that are listening or watching because I think the journey is important because a lot of people are really suffering through very yeah. similar well, situations. Ton majority of people, I would say, are yeah. I'm stuck in their Good Friday like it's Groundhog Day with that's, Bill Murray. That's right, and they just wake up and continue. And I think yeah. that's super correct when it comes to uh, mental health and substance use because I remember in my darkest depths of my addiction it was like you're using because you're miserable you're empty you're depressed you're angry you hate yourself 
and you hate yourself because you're using, you're depressed because you're using, and it's just one thing, oh, it's just a cycle you get stuck in over and over and right. over again. And every day it's the, the same thing. And I think that's a huge piece of, you know, things I'm trying to connect to with people is just, hey, you can get out of this cycle somehow. You know, you can you can find a way to do it. And I mean, I've talked to so many people. You're you're one of many who I've talked to of different stories, but found ways to overcome them. And I'm excited to get into that that part of it. Here's the key. The key is what you're really underscoring here. We've got to give people hope mm. and belief in their own recovery. Mm -hmm. I mean, these stories are all great, but people now have to say, hey, wait a minute. If Sammy can do it. If Sean can do it, I can do it. And once you start having hope and belief. That's where it starts. So amazing things can That's happen. That's where change starts. I totally agree. Uh, before we go on, Sammy, try not to hit this table oh, too much. Sorry about that. You're, you're a hand talker. I always get stuck with those. The Italian. <laughs> it's the Italian, yeah. Or my girlfriend. <laughs> so, or so, Christine. Sorry about that. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's natural. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. We get the hand talkers. It's kind of tough because yeah. like, it picks it up. But, okay. Um, anyway, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's go forward. So here you are. Your wife left you. You, you finally you got fired eventually. Uh, where did you find yourself? Where, where, where did you go? How did you do it? I mean, okay. what was the next step for you? So the journey, the journey is basically 12 years, 1992 to 2004. Okay. Of 18 different doctors Jesus. and 14 different medications. Wow. I pretty well exhausted all the top professionals here in Western New York, including Rochester and Cleveland. Okay. And the, the journey was, you know, they treat you with medications and then maybe medications and or behavioral treatment. And the medications weren't working. They made me kind of sleepy and kind of sedated, but they didn't really attack the symptoms of specific doubting and checking. Now, I learned that cognitive behavioral therapy can be effective, but what I found is here in Buffalo, the best treatment was only like once a week. So you would see someone maybe once or twice a week or once every two weeks, if you will. And it, it proved not to be as intense and as, um, yeah, I would use the word intense. It wasn't intense enough from a standpoint of, we needed to attack my severe OCD every mm -hmm. day. So I went through many years of trials and tribulations. I ended up going to a world-class clinic in Philadelphia, and people can check this, her name is Dr. Edna Foa, F-O-A, and she runs a world-class treatment for the treatment of anxiety, specialized in OCD okay. in Philadelphia. And you talk about, again, think about my drive, what I was doing in the investment business. And I decided, Sammy, you're not gonna settle. And I drove 487 miles to the fifth largest city in the country, all by myself, crying and anxious all the way hmm. to meet Dr. Foa and three of her top directors of the program. And I called her, I actually cold called 
the <laughs> the doctor. The, I actually called the treatment center. I actually had a chance to talk to Dr. Foa. I told her my situation and she says, Sammy, there's no guarantees as you know in the mental health industry, but if you're willing to come out here, we'll sit down with you. Now remember, this is the 1990s now, so maybe things might be a little bit different with the technology today. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to come out here, we'll see what we can do to, to provide a program that might work for you. It's like, and it gets, sometimes you get a little emotional here, is you only got one shot, man. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just gotta do it. And um, I ended up going to Philadelphia three different times in the late 1990s. The first time, because it was just a interview, my dad drove me to the bus terminal hmm. behind the library in downtown Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And I got on a Greyhound bus and it was a three day, two nighter, if you will. And it was just a kind of like a, an intake process. And then the other two times I drove by myself, all by myself, and I got accepted in the program. And then I went back another following year or so for like a refresher, if you will. And Sean, I have learned some amazing techniques on how I manage my OCD today. So part of what is interesting about my story is, as we continue to get into some of the good stuff of what I'm doing today, I'm managing a very severe form of OCD on an everyday basis. So I'm managing a disease, but I'm also doing something that's beyond my wildest dreams, but Philadelphia and the treatment of the cognitive behavioral therapy and, what, and the specific terminology is called exposure and response prevention. Mm -hmm. And depending on how much you want to talk about that, I can get into a little bit more about the specifics of that, but it was like a boot camp. And unless you're really, really driven, it's not going to work. Were, were people like kind of dropping out of that program? Yeah. 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 I mean, every day you're assigned, like you're assigned maybe one specific a counselor or therapist, and you're working with them all day. Okay. I mean, and then they're giving you homework at night. And unless you're really driven, it's just not going to work. Was this a residential thing? Yeah. Like, did you stay there? Okay, good, good question. So another part of the story is this, is in most cases, people will live there. Okay. They have, they have facilities right in, there's like a hospital and there's also like a rehab area where you can actually live in the facility. But because my functioning was still good enough that I didn't need to really be hospitalized, I could go in as an outpatient. Okay. So what I did, another interesting part of my story is, through cold calling, I got a East Falls, Pennsylvania penny saver. And East Falls, Pennsylvania was the area around the Philadelphia area. Where, okay. Where and I called people in the penny saver. They were looking for people to rent an apartment. Can you kind of picture this now? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and here I am in Buffalo, cold calling people in Philadelphia, asking them, can you take me in? I need a place to stay. And at the time, after about a dozen calls, and I'm losing a lot of hope, a 93-year-old lady 
and she's gone today. Her name is Florence Stonelake from East Falls, Pennsylvania. She heard my story and she had tears in her eyes. She said, Sammy, I'll take you in. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a wild story because she was initially fearful. She was, she did have a Victorian home about a mile and a half from the facility, but she was looking for someone maybe right in the local area. Like it would be like, maybe like Allentown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In the city. But here I am calling from Buffalo. So for the first few minutes, there was obviously a feeling of discomfort. But as we talked, like we're doing right now, she saw I was, I was the real deal. And she became like a second mother to me. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Part of the story. I, I went in as a outpatient and I walked every day to the facility. And I gave it my all and um, it's working out pretty good for me. I mean, I still struggle. I have a lot of problems with it, but I am um, managing every day. But Philadelphia looking for the, so I think the lesson here for the viewers or people that are listening in on here is that you've got, don't settle. Mm -hmm. If you can't find the best treatment people here, you can't stop. And in order to solve a problem, you've got to be able to identify what the problem is first. A lot of people, yep. right? They don't even know what the diagnosis is. They have no idea. Yep. yep. So this, there's a lot of life lessons here. So that's kind of like what transpired is I went through 12 years of hell, doctors, therapies, Philadelphia. And now I come out of this and it's the early 2000s. Give you a little timeline. Okay. And I remember the third time I was there, this one counselor her name was Susan, and she was tough on me. She says, Sammy, I know you, even though you're better, you can't go back. And to she, your original work. Yeah, she looked the at investment me. investment bank. And she looked at me that. eyeball okay. to eyeball like I'm looking at you right yep. now. And said straight up, you can't go back. She says, Sammy, do you have any temptation to go back on that field? And I was honest with her. I says, well, I'm doing better. She says, Sammy. Don't do it. It's, it's, you have an obsessive compulsive personality. You'd be throwing yourself back into the wolves again. And I'm looking at her and I've got tearful. I go, well, Susan, what do I do? And she says, you got to rediscover yourself. And I'm like 50 some years old. And she taught me something that I want to share with the people that are listening and viewing today. The acronym is W-I-N. What does that mean? Win, W-I-N. What's that mean, Susan? And she said, what's important now? Mm. Sammy, the past is over with. Yes, you did very well, but that's over with. Your ex-wife, she's over with. They fired you out of the industry, that's over with. You now have to redefine yourself. Which is tough for anybody to hear. <laughs> at 50 anywhere, years old. Let alone at 50 years old when, I mean, I guess, you know, a great lesson too is we put so much of our, our identity and who we are into our job, into what we do, into our house, into all this stuff, all this materialistic things. And it becomes such a big piece of you, even in your case, when you're being told you can't go back to that, 
And I'm assuming you probably do try, right? You have to. Addiction. You had to go back. Yeah, you had to go back and try. I knew it. Addiction. (laughs) And, I mean, that's so tough to let go. Yep. See, that we go back. So people that are suffering with all kinds of addictions, they can really uh, Mm -hmm. relate to this. But what I did... I can control it. I can can use heroin twice a week. I'm good. Yeah, right. (laughs) What I did is probably the the blueprint of... I'm actually sharing this with thousands of people today. And I don't know whether if it really works to show this, but I don't know if people can see it or if this is just an uh, audio just type. It's audio, but okay. let's, let's try to describe it. All what right. do we got? So this is what I kind of do when I'm in person with people. Okay. And I, it's, I, I literally call it the recovery plan. It's very, very basic, okay? And it, this can be done on a computer. They call it the old Ben Franklin, the pluses and minuses, mm-hmm. okay? And you split the paper up or split the, uh, on the computer. And on the plus side, you write down things that I love to do. Okay. Now, for the audience, this is not a five-minute exercise. What I tell people is put this near your coffee table. Maybe you're listening to some jazz someday. This might be a few months, but maybe you're seeing something on TV that, hey, you know what? I like working with dogs. Maybe I should do something with the SPCA. But the point is what you're basically doing is you're writing down what are your gifts, right? What are your strengths? What do you love to do? And you're starting to define. Now, keep in mind, Sean, I'm starting over. Mm -hmm. Now, but I, I have a lot of skill sets, so it's not totally like, like totally yeah, you're ridiculous. not an infant. Right, <laughs> right. All I'm trying to do now is redirect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on the plus side, that's what I've got down. On the minus side, what are things that I don't like to do? What are my weaknesses, right? What are things that are my limitations? Now, I don't know if you ever heard this, but when the teachers years ago in school used to say, Sean, let's work on your weaknesses, I think life is too short. I think what's more important is play your strengths. Let's maximize your strengths. And if you see the smile, look at the body language mm-hmm. now is because it's very interesting because if you focus on this, you're going to get the best version of yourself. If you're going to focus on this, now you're going to run into depression, anxiety, addictions. It's absolutely amazing. And I've seen this time and time again with me. I'm a living example of this. So, for example, if you said to me, Sammy, my car is not working outside. Could you help me with my car? Mm-hmm. That's here for the audience. So that's a, that's a, on the negative? I can't. I'm not mechanical. You're not a good mechanic? I'm not, me- I'm not mechanically inclined. Yep. But if you you sa- and me both would be on that side yeah. of the paper. <laughs> but if you said to me, Sammy, I might have an opportunity for you to talk at my school. Um, let's see, I'm from South Buffalo, Bishop Timon. At the time there was 500 kids there. Would you be willing, if I got you connected with the principal or one of the staff directors there, would you be willing to go and talk to the kids over at Bishop Timon? Sean? You're there. I'm there. You're good to go. That's, but that's a strength. But how I got there is, for the audience, how about this one? You're gonna love this one. Plan your work work your plan well i think that's a big piece of it too none of us who's doing it take the time to plan anything none of us know you ask anybody what their strengths are majority of people will struggle 
You and, ask them what their weaknesses are, and the majority of people will rattle them off to you very quickly. And not to sound chauvinistic, but how many how many men, how many guys are doing this? Maybe women might be a little bit more inclined yeah. to try this, but how many guys are going to do this? Oh, it's a struggle. Right. So I'm trying to share with the audience, I figured out a blueprint, a way to plan your work, work your plan, Again, this is part of my obsessive compulsiveness. Mm -hmm. I write things down. Now, over a few months per time, I came up with this. So this is your fi your final list? Well. A let, list that you've worked on a little yes, bit. Yep. Yes. Okay. And on the plus side, you're going to see mentoring, coaching, counseling, teaching, motivating, life coach, kids, inspiring people. That's my gold. Okay, on the minus side, paperwork, administration, complex layers, customer service, analysis, research, decision-making, this feeds my OCD. Those are things that kind of trigger you? Yes. Okay. Become a PhD in yourself. Watch yourself like you're a complete stranger. Isn't this, a, it's powerful. It is, and I think writing stuff down it's yeah, huge. It's huge. I mean, I, you have to. I should show you my uh, my you, whole you my whole my whole um, program and what I've been working on the last few months to keep organized yeah. and have a system and and it becomes so important. I think you know to have a place yeah where you write stuff down. But I love that idea. Uh, there's a lot of people that I have kind of fouled and have been kind of influencers on me who talk about play your strengths. Um, I think it's important to know your weaknesses. Um, there's, you know, some, some of my weaknesses, I would like to make them slightly better. Well, sure. I, I have to admit, you of, know, well, of course, I, but, um, I mean, yes, I mean, w certainly we want to try to strengthen our weaknesses, but I, I'll, uh, my whole point though, is that if you maximize what you're good at, yes, I think there's an opportunity for not only more growth, but again, I think depending on how you want to look at something see, for me, I want to make an impact. Mm-hmm. I want to influence people. And so nothing wrong, nothing wrong with learning how to work on a car, but that's not my thing. That's not your thing. I agree. Yep. Okay. So we, you, so we could say, well, see, I mean, your weakness is you can't do a car, but if I spent, I'm 67 years old. Okay. So I'm looking at, I'm rounding third base. Yeah. You're getting there. I'm rounding, <laughs> I'm rounding third base or, or another analogy for the sports people out there. I'm in the beginning of the fourth quarter. So my, see, so time might be different. See, right? You're in your thirties, I'm in my sixties. So I'm looking at things a little bit differently mm -hmm. here. And so that's why I'm, ma I'm gonna maximize my strength. But I mean, I think that's important for anybody at any age yeah. too. You have to play your strengths. You have to maximize right? them, find out what they are. And again, most people you ask have no idea what their strengths are. They don't know. I mean, I didn't know up until probably the last few years right. when I really have honed in on, all right, I'm going to do this shit because I'm done being dragged around by life, you know, in this half-ass way. So right. I'm going to get stuff done. I mean, and I am a, I've become a very ambitious human being. Like my ambitions I love are insane. Good. And I don't think anything will slow me down. You know, I'm hoping I run into some people who will make it a little quicker for me, but either way. Um, I'm going, and I think that's important for so many of us Excellent. to find our strengths, yes. find out what they are, and use them.
and then surround yourself with people who are strong in your weaknesses right. is also very important. Right. So what materialized from this is it became a blueprint. Now, keep in mind, it's 2004. I was born in 1953. I'm just graduating high school. Okay. I'm between 50 and 51 years old. And again, going back to Susan from Philadelphia, I'm scared, but this tool diminishes my fear somewhat because plan your work, mm. work your plan. I have a plan now. Now, when, when the audience, sometimes they'll ask me, well, how long? This is probably, this is, this is about a few months. So we're not talking about years. Mm -hmm. So it's not, so this is very doable. And then when I looked at this, I looked at this a little bit more. I said, you know what? Mentoring kids. Hmm. That's kind of st struck out, um, uh, hit the page, if you will. And where my journey goes is kind of interesting. And again, there's a lot of spirituality here. I have a very good friend. His name is Tom Ehlers. He was a former, actually, he's still doing what I did, uh, but he's a former colleague of mine. We both live in Williamsville. He's a financial consultant. He works for Merrill Lynch. So he's in the field that I was in. Mm -hmm. But I remember sitting down with Tommy. Again, I'm a networker asking questions. And I probably talked to about a dozen different people over the next couple of months. Tommy was the one that said, Sammy, I known you a lifetime. Although you've gone through a lot of devastation, he saw the whole thing. He goes, exact word, Sean. It's time to share the Sammy V love. Hmm. Now you don't, you're, you're getting to know me only today, but if you knew me and maybe you're starting to feel on this right now, that's me. That's my gift. The Sammy V love. I was doing that as a kid in the Philip Sheridan and in Kenmore working with little leaguers. That's what I did before the investment business. Okay. And the only reason why I went in the investment business is because I needed to make some money. Okay. I was coaching kids. I was a playground supervisor. I loved it, but then I got caught up in the game. And although I did very well in the investment business, it was never my passion. It was never my love. This allowed me to redefine, redirect, and got me focused on a new beginning. And unbelievably through this, when he said that, it's time to share the Sanvi love. It's like the light bulb. Just went off. And I got excited and I go, Tommy, what do you think? Now, I had no idea where, what was gonna happen next, but he said, have you ever heard of a compass house? Now, most people, they might claim that they know what it is in Western New York. Most people do not know what this is. I have no idea what it is. Okay. So when you, after this, we're gonna, you can certainly Google this and have some fun with this. They're in their 48th year as the only emergency shelter in Western New York that deals with homeless and runaway kids. Okay. And he said, would you like to meet Sylvia Nadler, who I know, She's the executive director, and I think that you guys would hit it off. And I said, Tommy, I says, I, I'd have an interest, but I got to ask you, how do you know about Compass House and homeless kids? You're an ex, you're a stockbroker like me. <laughs> We're in Williamsville. See where this goes? It's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. 
And then some tears welled up in his eyes. And he goes, Sammy, you don't know me for a lifetime, but I was a runaway. Hmm. My father abused me. He's from the Albany area. My father abused me as a kid. And I ran away from home and I'm on the board of directors of Compass House because of what I had experienced. And I have a love and affinity toward this population. So anyways, we meet, amazing. So, I mean, again, there's a lot of spirituality here. So I meet Sylvia, Tommy and I, we go to the town restaurant, Elmwood and Allen area. Uh, this is back in 04. We sit down for about an hour and a half, two hours. But I have to tell you, Sean, I was very scared because think about what I was doing for a living. And now I'm looking at a volunteer, no money here, volunteer position as a mentor, youth coach, if you will, for homeless and runaway kids. So I'm going to throw an interesting question out to you. And I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but it's kind of interesting. When I ask people, and if you've got to be really honest with me on this one, what do you think of initially? What stereotype, whether it's accurate or not, do you think about when I talk about I work with homeless and runaway kids? What stereotype? Yeah, like what do you... Like stereotype of the person who works with runaway kids? Or no, no. what the stereotype the, of what a runaway kid is? The population. What the population is? Yeah, now it's interesting. Any thoughts? Yeah. No, well, hold on. I'm trying, I mean, I mean, probably I think it goes to a negative thing, like a troublemaker kid. Okay. Automatically. Yeah. Which I don't think, you know, and I think now that I'm kind of playing around, I feel like, you know, most troublemaker kids probably don't run away from home. Most kids who are probably in a very, very dangerous, shitty situation at home would yeah. probably end up running away. Yeah. Is it possible that some of these kids, maybe though, because of maybe how they're being raised, if, if will, could they be getting kicked out of school? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you see kids all the time with troubled families getting in trouble okay. at school. Is it possible that some of these kids could be dealing with drug or alcohol addictions? Mm -hmm. Okay. Could they have mental health problems? Mm -hmm. And not that I want to get into the, any of the racial thing, but sometimes there's a stereotype of what populations are more so that might be in this type of um, setting, maybe more the minority, if you will. So the, the point that I'm trying to go with all this is that I didn't know any of this population and I'm almost 51 years old now. And as a 1971 graduate of Kemmerer West, I knew no homeless kids. I didn't know any, not that that was a very affluent area, but this represented a whole new environment that yeah. was out of my comfort zone. So that increased initially my anxiety. Does that make sense? Absolutely does, yeah. Okay, so as I sat down with Sylvia and Tommy, I asked Sylvia, as we're connecting, I go, Sylvia, can I ask you a few questions regarding the uh, kids? She goes, sure. She says, I, and I asked her, I says, are some of these kids getting kicked out of school? She goes, yeah, some do. Are some of these kids involved with drugs or alcohol or addictions? She goes, yeah, Sammy, some do. Now watch this question, Sean. I go, is it possible that some kids could be coming into Compass House carrying a weapon? And she paused, she looked at me and she goes, yeah, it's possible. Now here's the $64,000 question. <laughs> I want you to stay right with me on it. This is powerful. I asked her a question that 
most directors might have like, she kind of knew where I was going, but I went right for it. I said, is it possible as I potentially look at this volunteer position as a youth counselor, could my personal safety be compromised by coming and working here? What do you think she said? You understand my question? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm assuming she said yes. Yeah. Yeah. So why would I do it? Well, I, 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 well, my point is to the audience here, I could be looking at all different things. Why would I go into a high risk environment? Why wouldn't I just go back to Kenmore or stay in Williamsville and mm -hmm. do, I can mentor kids in the little league programs there. Yeah. So why would I do that? And a lot of people, as I share the story with, will they go, I wouldn't do it. I would never do it. Keep in mind, I'm almost 51 years old. But here's what she said to me that turned the whole conversation around. She's Sammy, she says, I've been with you for over an hour. You are an amazing, passionate individual. And I know you're the, you're the real deal. And he goes, she goes, how about this? Two sets of four words. She goes, I believe in you. And then she says, you can do it. Hmm. The power on that is amazing. Then she wrapped up by, this was the clincher. Another four words. Our kids need you. Hmm. I couldn't say no. And you were doing it. Yeah, that's awesome. So I made it a huge step of faith and risk. And I'm proud to share with the audience today, I'm in my 17th year. You're still working there, huh? Oh, that's awesome, man. 17th year. Huh. And the stories, the stories that I have are literally for the, for the ages. I can share with you that very humbly, they actually built a Sammy V rec room that I would be willing to show you if you'd hmm. like at some point down at the basement of 370 Linwood Avenue, which okay. is which is where Compass House is. Okay. There's no there's no name on there because it's confidentiality. So you're not gonna drive by there and you're gonna see Compass yeah, House. Yeah, okay. You're gonna see Safe Place. You're gonna see a sign at Safe Place. But they built a rec room in my honor because they feel that I probably have impacted thousands of kids in the last 17 years. I was gonna say over 17 years, probably a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's one of many, many different components of this journey that has thrust me into some amazing things that I share with a lot of audiences today. But it started out at Compass House in 04. And not to get too crazy here, but this is, I do this every year, this is the amount of organizations and the organizations that I volunteer with. And here is the amount of years of service. Now this is last year's, so I, I got to update it for this year. This is the years of service of places that I have volunteered at. All those places you volunteered at I, for that many years? Currently. Holy crap, yeah. you're a machine. Yeah, but here's the key. Because it's something that I love to do and I balance it on a calendar that I know I need to structure properly. Mm -hmm. Sean, I'm on fire. That's awesome. Sounds like for people listening, yeah, you, you can have 15 different organizations here. Yeah. And the smallest number of years you have volunteered at one seems to be eight. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. And four or five That's of amazing. them, I specialize, what I specialize mostly in the volunteer, I've worked in the area with troubled and homeless kids. So Compass House, Gateway Longview, mm -hmm. Big Brother Big Sister Program, Boys and Girls Club, 
comp here. Um, oh, so you know Tim Bowling. Yep. Good deal. Yep. Now, I actually worked with a Michelle Smith. This, she was actually before Tim. Okay. Okay. That I, I'm, I'm actually not currently over at uh, Compere, but certainly Compere and then the Mental Health Association. I'm now doing a lot of work with, um, well, Kenny Hausnick is the executive director. Kenny, okay. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know Kenny. I don't know him per, I mean, I know of him. Yeah. yeah. And so what I mainly focus on is two different areas, mental health and troubled kids. Okay. Those are the two major areas of, um, of where, I, where I do a lot of my volunteering at. Now, but, are those separate for you? or can I mean, obviously, I know they can be both. They can be both, yes. But can they be their own separate thing as well? Would yeah. you work with you know, adults that are struggling with? Yes. Okay. Yes. So part of what I'm trying to share here with you, though, is that it's I, I actually rank them, too, as far as what I'm what I what, what's most important to me in the journey. Okay. So number one here, I have the Mental Health Association. Okay. And that is the area where I do, I'm in my 11th year of facilitating an OCD support group. So the people like the Carl Schellehorns and the, and the Kenny Hausnicks and people of that nature, they know me because I'm a longtime volunteer as a facilitator for the major OCD support group in Western New York. Okay. So people that are suffering can come to our group now they're in the process of moving their location, but they were at 999 Delaware, Delaware and West Utica. Okay. And we have a beautiful conference room. And I facilitate a group for people that are struggling. And it's amazing the interchange and how we're all trying to lift each other up. But that's where it kind of like was one of the most important things. And then the second thing here is, and I'm about to share a little bit with you is, I basically have set up, I built, a whole new career for myself as a inspirational and motivational speaker. Awesome. Yeah, but it's what's interesting about this is that when I say I built up a career, what I really did is, again, it's all part of the gifts. And if you notice here, I've got inspiring people. Mm -hmm. And what I did formerly as an investment broker, I took a booklet of the Western New York Directory of Community Services, and I called directors of these organizations, the Ann Constantinos of the world. And I would call them. They didn't know who I was. And I would basically say over the phone, my name is Sammy Violani. I would like to inspire your people that you're serving. And I have some very powerful life lessons for them. So they might say, email me a proposal. You know, what's, you know, what's this all about? And I, all I did, Sean, is I, I kind of sold the appointment and I sat down with these directors. Now, I'm sharing this with you because I'm very, very proud of this. I have a listing of 347 different organizations wow. that I've spoken at, including the Horizons and the Spectrums and the years ago, the Lake Shores, and we can go on and on and mm -hmm. on. So I have done a lot of work with giving people hope and belief in their own recovery through inspirational speaking. So I'm trying to give you a little idea of what's gone on here. So it started a out- A lot has gone on. Yeah, it went from <laughs> Compass House, it went into an inspirational career, if you will, and I'm mainly doing work in mentoring the homeless runaway kids, the troubled kids, Okay. and the inspirational speaking. There's another part uh, that kind of where, where this has grown 
is, and I like to share this with the audience, is that I have, in the last five years, I've spoken at 158 different schools. Wow. I think it's close to 72,000 students. And I did the same thing, Sean. I called principals that had no idea who I was, literally from scratch. Just call them up and... Well, it's, it's crazy in today's day and age because you know people are using computers and cell yeah. phones and all that kind of stuff. But I called them, I kind of sold the appointment, meaning I wanted to build a relationship with them, yep. maybe take a half hour of their time, 45 minutes, whatever. I told them what I'm doing. And I'd like to share with the audience, I have figured out the number one life lesson of all time. Which is? Are you ready? I'm ready. Tell I'm going to make sure I'm going to edit it so there's like this 20-minute pause right here. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me what you think about this. I call it the number one life lesson of all time. And this was the lever that I used to get into the schools. Okay. I would talk to the principal and they say, Sammy, what do you want to tell our kids? And I told them, I figured out the number one life lesson. They said, what is it? And I told them, finding your purpose and following your passion are the keys to true and everlasting happiness in life. Absolutely. I wouldn't argue with that one bit. How could they say no to that? No. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so true. And I don't want to uh, go too crazy on time here because, and I do, I want to touch base on one other thing too, before we go. But uh, as far as that, on that note, I love that because I mean, every day of my life up until I started doing what I'm doing now, I just, something was missing like something. I mean, I loved, I always loved food. I loved the art of it, fine dining. I loved it, but I still always just felt empty. Every time I'd walk into a kitchen, something was missing. So I changed my job up, thought maybe it was the hours, you know, whatever. Now I got a Monday through Friday, seven to four, you know, paid vacations, health insurance now. Still walking in, what am I doing with my life? Like it just felt so empty, so empty. And once I was able to go through and change the things and work on the things I needed to work on, I was now able to develop, okay, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. At least still maybe trying to figure out how I'm going to do it, but you know, this is what I want to do. And when, when you do that, and I'm sure you can attest to this, it just doesn't feel like work anymore. Not that it can't be challenging, not that it can't, but it's just not one second of it is work. Well, that's, and that's what I teach the students, I, the kids. I say, look, if you find something that you lo really love to do, we've all heard this cliche, but I'm living it. You're never going to feel like you're working. Well, very few people are doing that. Yeah. We, we do stuff to please our parents. We do stuff to that's it. please this person or you're this person over here. Living and, someone else's dream, yep. living someone else's expectations. And this is one very, very powerful for the kids right in line to what we're talking about. Tell me what you think about this one, Sean. Why struggle to fit in? You were born to stand out. Mm -hmm. That's huge. You are born to stand yeah. out. So I, I just wanted to share this from a standpoint of, so a lot of people will say these principals, when I come in and talk to them and they, and they saw what I had to offer, then they would say, Sammy, okay, really interested. But here's the classic question, the world that we live in. Sammy, what's your fee? What are you gonna charge me in our district for your services? I believe that you can do this. I can see it now. Mm -hmm. You, yeah, you, you don't have to sell me anymore. You've got it. You've got the passion. You've got the, the message. 
you got the story, you got the life lessons, but I need to know what you're gonna charge me. And I said, Mr. Principal, so if I take Sabatino Samano, who used to be the principal at Hutch Tech, he's in our conversation, he asked me to call him Tino. We developed a conversation just like we're doing right now. And I said, Tino, you couldn't pay me enough of what I'm gonna share with your kids. And he looked at me. Now, keep in mind, he's in his mid 40s. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I'm in my early 60s. He goes, Sammy, let me see if I got this right. I want to know what you're going to charge me. And I, so, I said, Tino, there's no charge. I'm doing this because I found my passion. And you couldn't pay me enough for what I'm going to be able to deliver to your kids and what I'm going to get out of it. Sean, I'm very proud to share this with you. There's very few people that know about this. But everything that I've talked about today, everything since 50 years old, 17 years, I've done free of charge. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, it's interesting because I've struggled. I'm struggling with because I, I hate when people like spiritual leaders, whatever you want to call them, these motivational speakers, these Tony Robbins oh, of the world yes. and Deepak Chopra's that yeah, charge yeah. $20,000 for a two hour yeah, session with yeah. them. Like that makes me sick. Right. And so now only rich people can afford to improve themselves, you know? Right. Good point. So, you know, I've always struggled with this because now here I am trying to help people. Sure. I love helping people. I mean, I'm all about it. And I am in the battle of, well, I also, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy here. I need to eat. I need to pay bills. Of course. And, you know, I'm just now getting a point in my life where it's like, all right, you got to ask for money, dude. Like you can't just keep doing everything for right. free. Absolutely. And um, so, I mean, that being said, what do you do for a living? Are you okay. on disability? Right. Are you getting this? Are you doing that? You know, yeah. how do you put food on your table? Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Because I, I I love the questions because the last questions allow us to get to where we need, uh, need to get to. I'm on social security disability. Okay. Because of my OCD that I basically have been on since the 1990s okay. when I was diagnosed. I have purposely lowered my standard of living to do my passion. Hmm. Now I've been told, or I, I've been, you know, I'll again, try to say this very humbly. <laughs> People have seen me in action and I would welcome that opportunity for you to come and see me in action, actually speaking somewhere. Um, and said, Sammy, you're a lot better than 90% of the people out there. Hmm because you're the real deal. There's no money motivated and you're doing it from the heart. And basically people have said that you are basically giving up hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've had principals, I've had top directors tell me this. But Sean, remember I talked about WIN? Mm-hmm. What's important now? Mm-hmm. It's more important for me to have freedom and or peace of mind. I didn't have that in the investment business. Someone else was saying, Sammy, keep going, keep going. Now I run my own ship. And I have a mantra slash mission statement that I'd like to share with the audience today. People say, well, Sammy, why do you do all this? The statement is, remember, a life is truly not important unless it positively impacts the lives of others. Hmm. John, that's huge. That's where I'm at. Yep. So if someone say, like when, you, when you're looking at this list, when they're looking at all this, what, what's the method of your madness? Why are you doing Impact, influence. And I purposely made a decision. Did I wanna go into these principles and quibble about speaker fees? 
and get into negotiation thing? Or do I position myself as I want to do this free of charge in hopes of getting more impact? And now we're at 158 schools. That's amazing, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, it's, I'm living a life and journey beyond my wildest dreams. And here's my favorite. I have a lot of these quotes if you hear. Here's my favorite that ties us all together today. An eagle can only soar when it flies against the wind. I like that one too. That's a good one. Go against the grain. <laughs> we are all experiencing adversity. 100% is gonna to have to go through some type of trial, tribulation, problem, or obstacle. The question is, are you gonna make it a crutch? Or are you gonna make it a ladder for greatness? Hmm. I think that's, I mean, that's the number one important thing. I think that's something I also talk about constantly on here is that learning from your mistakes and learning from your failures. You know, my, my brother and sister died when I was 15. And I remember so many people said the dumbest things to me after they died. And I just remember ever since, you know, a few months after that, I would only tell people two things when they were, they're going through something tragic. And one is don't forget to cry no matter what cry because that is a tool Let it, out. it is a tool just like laughing that deep laughter is and the second thing is while you're crying do your best to open your eyes and learn something and pay attention because that's when life teaches you the most that's when you have the most growth and that's it you know and that's something i always love sharing on here because it's about paying attention as much as you can when life is just taking a dump on you and those moments, it becomes a very big paradox because those moments become the key and most important parts of your life that you want to share and talk with everybody about. And, and here's a, another part that's huge here. Imagine if we take this adversity and the struggle that we all have to deal with. And I teach people, let's redefine the adversity. Mm -hmm. And I'm, let's say I'm at a, a gateway long view and I have like a little chalkboard and we talk about adversity, we talk about the problem, the obstacle, the roadblock, the resistance. Then I'll ask the kids, I'm gonna give you a new definition of adversity today. And they look at me like, well, what is that? And I write down adversity equals opportunity. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching these kids that the scars, the darkness, the trials and tribulations that they're living how about if we take them and make them the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? Now that's pretty crazy. You take a 14 year old kid that's at East High School in Buffalo, he doesn't believe that. Mm -mm. Not these kids out of compass, they don't believe it. But by developing a relationship and giving them some powerful life lessons, again, very humbly, I've been not totally responsible myself, but I have been part of a team that has helped some of these kids turn their lives around. And as you're looking at me, Sean, look again, my body language, this is it. This is the ultimate. Yeah, that's amazing. Again, <laughs> impact. Yeah, that's great. That, I mean, remember a life is truly not important unless it positively impacts the lives of others. That's my world series game winning grand slam 
to win <laughs> the championship. Yeah, that's awesome, Sammy. I mean, I think I want to end it here. Absolutely. Because no, because I want to I want to plan another one with you and I want to get more into the the spiritual side of things. Okay. I was going to I wanted to kind of touch it, but we're going on an hour and 40 minutes. Yep. So I want to um We'll, we'll plan a, a round two. Yep. And I want to get into to that aspect of you, maybe deeper into the CBT as well and stuff like that. But this was just, I mean, rich, full of uh, good stuff. And I'm super grateful to have met you, to be sitting down here with you. And I very much well am pumped about our relationship going forward and, you know, some stuff on how we can yeah. help each other and yeah. do some things. I would love to come see you speak I yeah. don't know, i'm assuming that stuff has kind of slowed down right, recently right right now it is yeah but right Hopefully now it is for too long but as they re-kick re or so um i'll have you come and, and see what i do and then you uh, can have me come right into some of these addiction centers if you want absolutely statsman yeah. statsman addiction treatment center I, I speak at regularly okay and at 291 elm street I, good I, old 291 <laughs> you've probably been over there um yes i have Awesome. Well, you are, you are absolutely, I mean, just your energy being around you is motivating. You're an incredible human being, and I'm very, very grateful to be sitting here with you. Thanks, Sean. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. And like I said, we will, uh, we'll get another episode planned because I have a feeling we can do uh, quite a few of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sammy. Thank you. Thank you, Sean, for the opportunity and the pleasure of your time today. Always. It was the pleasure was all mine. All right, signing off here. <laughs>